Hello, it's the old time happy hour with the Lanky Guys podcast. <laughs> we're here. My name is Father Peter Musset. Sounded like you were doing a little banjo. <laughs> my, name, my name is Do- Dr. Scott. <laughs> I don't feel like I can even use the doctor after it. Dude, a ridiculous introduction like that. I cannot. I cannot tell you how beautiful your 1920s microphone voice that you just did is. It's really it. No man, like you don't even know. Like <laughs> I, I wish I was watching a horse race from the like from some sort of early thing or an announcement of a king like coming an announcement or something. Of a, king. <laughs> a horse race or the announcement of a king. I, I think that I don't just I mean like dude it's old timey goodness man I do like old timey goodness it's the old timey happy hour with the Lanky Guys podcast here comes number twenty seven from the outside yeah 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 coming up the rear <laughs> I, got, I got another dude, anyway dude. this is the word on the hill it's the twenty seventh Sunday of ordinary time I'm Father Peter Muzzit I'm still Scott Powell and uh, we just are uh, excited to uh, host you at this old timey a little too excited. <laughs> If you ask me, dude, uh, one things that the um, one thing I wish I was an old timey radio host. Sometimes, dude, uh, me too. Sorry, I got that out of my system. It's out now. I actually, we I wanted to on. be like a uh, like a, a DJ, a disc jockey on oh, the radio. Jockey. Yeah. Okay, we are in the twenty seventh Sunday in ordinary time. <clears throat> Saint, yes, Saint Simeon. Let me sing of my friend's vineyard. Our first reading. We're gonna sing of it. Oh, Isaiah. Five, one through seven. Um, the lanky guys discovered Red Bull again. I bought some more in case you're wondering what's happening today. Uh, I had a bunch of snacks out for the class I taught last night, and there were lots of. Basically, I took all of Matt's leftover sweets from RCAA class because he, he had a lot of leftovers. But I think it was Lisa Pierce. She was like, "Oh, it's going to be a fun podcast tomorrow." <laughs> I was like, "Come on, I don't need all of these things." All right, our second read, our responsorial psalm, rather, is coming from Psalm 80, verse 9, then 12, then 13 and 14, then 15 and 16, then 19 through 20. And our responsorical? I just said that. Oh, the responsorical itself. Is from Isaiah 5, 7a. Ironically enough. So uh, Not ironically. It's not ironic. That's not what irony is. It's not like <laughs> rain on your wedding day. All right, what's our second reading, Father Peter? <laughs> <laughs> um, our second reading is Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Yeah, it is. And our gospel is coming from Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 43. That's 10 verses. 10 verses. Dude, um, I think that all the folks who are in the vineyard movement love this Sunday's readings. Like the vineyard church? Yeah. Vine, Vine Life, I think they call it nowadays. Vine Life? Yeah, the one on Lookout Road in North Boulder is called Vine Life. Oh. Got nothing more to say about that. I think a faithful church. Anyway, um, Isaiah. Yeah, this is so. Isaiah. What we're getting in Isaiah this week is the quintessential vineyard moment, and I, I believe I don't think it's stating too much to say this is sort of the scene. This is the passage that all of Jesus's references to vineyards and vine planting and everything like that sort of roots back to. This is sort of the. This is the. Um, What's the opposite of foreshadowing? This is the one that they all are based in. Does that make sense? This is the foundational? Yeah, this is what Jesus is always drawing on. This is a very well-known passage in Isaiah. This is in the introduction, the, the very first part of Isaiah, where Isaiah, remember, I, Isaiah, we've talked a lot about Isaiah over the years. It's a weird book. 
And it's incredibly complicated to study because Isaiah spans all of these different times and he bounces back and forth from prophecies to historical narratives and there's different kings and there's different enemies that they're fighting. And sometimes he's looking backwards in time. Sometimes he's talking about the present day. Sometimes he's looking way forward to the future and new heavens and new earth. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a frustrating book, I'm going to be honest with you. But the very beginning of it is basically setting the stage for everything that's going to happen. And Isaiah is being shown, hey, there's a lot of bad news that you're going to have to deliver to Israel. Mm. Here's why. Mm. And the why is basically coming in chapter 5. Chapters 1 through 4 are basically set up in Isaiah like a courtroom scene. And basically it's like Yahweh's coming into the courtroom and he's like, all right, I've got an accusation. Mm. This is the people of Israel. They are guilty and they're going to be found guilty. And here's all the evidence of what they've done. Uh -uh. Here's who they were supposed to be. And here's all the ways that they failed at that, which is what sets you up for the rest of what Isaiah is going to do. All the bad news and all of the um, chaos that's going to happen and all the good things and all the hope that will eventually be on the horizon after all of this. But to understand any of that, you have to understand how you got there. right? Right. So that's where the vineyard scene comes in. Okay, so here's what it says. It begins by saying this. Let me say, this is basically, it's kind of like an Old Testament parable. And Jesus, or God says, okay, it's like this. So let me now sing a song of my friend, my friend's song concerning his vineyard. My friend had a vineyard. That's very repetitive first three lines, right? There's a vineyard. I have a friend. He has a vineyard. My friend's vineyard. Here's my friend's vineyard. It's kind of, it's confusing to read through. Yeah. Anyway, my friend had a vineyard. On a fertile hillside, he spaded it, he cleared it of stones, he planted the choicest of vines, and within it he built a watchtower, he hewed a wine press, and then he looked for the crop of grapes. But what it yielded was wild grapes. Actually, there's a translation, I think the best translation, I, I stole this from Tim Gray, I think the best translation here is actually it yielded stinky grapes. Wild grapes doesn't quite capture what the Hebrew is getting at. It's not just, oh, they're wild. It's that they're really sour, bad-tasting, stinky grapes. Sour grapes. Sour grapes. Sour bright colors, which <laughs> are actually quite tasty. So not quite that. Well, yeah, I mean, but, but we describe people as sour grapes on an they're occasion. They're a sour grape. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, picture the scene here. There's, there's, there's this vineyard. A, a farmer plants this vineyard on a fertile hillside. He does all of these things, meticulously cares for it, spades it, clears it of all the stones, plants the choicest vines, builds a watchtower, meticulously building and constructing and planting this beautiful vineyard. Then he waits and he watches for the crop. And what does it yield? Wild, sour, stinky grapes. And he's like, that, st that stinks, right? Literally. Now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What was more? What was there more that I could do for my vineyard mm. that I hadn't done? I, I did everything. I made it perfectly. I was meticulous. I got all the stones. I got all the weeds. I did everything I was supposed to do. Why, when I looked for the crop of grapes, did it bring forth stinky grapes? Now I will let you know what it means, what, uh, what I mean to do with my vineyard. I'm going to take away its hedge. I'm going to give it to grazing. I'm going to break through the wall and let it be trampled. Yes, I will make it a ruin. It shall not be pruned or ho pruned, <laughs> pruned or hoed. It's like your chimney. Pruned, pruned, pruned or hoed, but overgrown with thorns and briars. I will command the clouds not to send rain upon it. The vineyard, uh, okay, not to send rain upon it. There should be a break here. Because in case you're confused about what on earth Isaiah is talking about, what is God saying here? Well, you a, get the the punchline. Right. The vineyard of the Lord, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts, it's the house of Israel. In case you didn't get the imagery he's saying. Just like, it's let's, let's get real clear here, people. And the people of Judah are his cherished plant. That's the tribes that live down near Jerusalem where the temple is. The ones that 
The temple is kind of like a watchtower with walls built around it that's supposed to create a thriving environment for his people to grow. But he looked for judgment, but he saw bloodshed. For justice, but a hark, the said acha, the outcry. Mm. Remember, we've seen that word outcry before. Yeah, it's what's happening in Sodom wondering. and Gomorrah, where they're crying uh. out for justice. It's what God hears when he sees the people of Israel in slavery in Egypt. For 400 years. He hears the outcry. There's injustice. We're being trampled down. Um, remember that psalm, the Lord hears the cry of the poor? The said The Lord hears the, the of the poor. That's what the word <laughs> It really means. doesn't roll off the tongue the same way. Not as quite in the same way. The sedacha. So does that make sense? It, yeah. It, I mean, I was wondering how we got to the, the, the outcry. I mean, now... Yeah, that's really good to connect us back to all of those moments because it's out of those moments that God is always going to act. I mean, the outcry, like the Lord really does hear the sedacha. Right. And so, always. So, so it's like I, Isaiah's word is to say, like, guess what? The, this judgment is going to come. Mm. Now, I mean, and, and as we're looking on it, like, this is the the result of of what this is going to be is that it's going to all be torn down because the walls the walls I mean it says it's going to what nothing you, I have a, I have a, I haven't thought I want you to finish what you're saying now. well I mean it's it, it's like it's like if the interior is corrupt then we're going to have to open it to the exterior so that it has enough influence to be transformed oh because that's not the, where I thought you were going be, because because what what happens is that is that from from the Lord. Like, uh, we, we've talked a lot about uh, how um, it's, it, you know, like the, the prophets will come and they'll say, this is actually from the Lord. Don't don't resist the occupying country. Was that Jeremiah? That was Jeremiah with regard to Babylon. Re- with regard to Babylon. And so it says Basically like... Basically, it's like, it's too late. It's too Just late. take it. B- because the, the only way that you're going to be transformed is through this massively powerful outside influence. This purging. And this purging. And the purging has to come from the outside, yeah. Right. So I'm going to tear down the wall. And now that's going to be really upsetting and or really rather, difficult. what God says, what he says here, I'm going to let them tear down the wall. Right, but I'm going to allow it. I'm going to step back and say, "Okay, oh, yeah," because because Which is powerful. How else are we going to find justice except for yeah the the outside coming in and saying like, "Nope, you're that's, ours." That's not where I thought you were going with that, but that's interesting because I see that in two different ways, right? Because I think you're absolutely right, and I mean, th- this is if you know the history of Israel, which the people reading Isaiah would. Like you said, I mean, the, the imagery is pretty crystal clear. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that happened pretty explicitly. But here's the thing. I was thinking about this, and I was trying to, I'm trying to put the pieces together. Here's what, uh, here's here's my thought. So take it for whatever you will. Okay. If you grow a garden, well, you have you have your little garden here in I the have, back, right? Yeah, you my mint you garden. Grow your mint. If your mint all comes out terribly, if you grow your mint out here and you have your things and you got your plants and everything just comes out horribly, it just does not grow. It's all stinky mint. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> yeah, stinky it, mint would be like, but you know what I mean. It smells it smells terrible. It's all these things. What would you do? What well, would you do? Forget this reading for a second. What would I do? If all of your crops are terrible, what um, do you do? Gosh, I, I'll tell you what I would do. I would give it a season, and I would see that I, I, what okay. I would do is I would fertilize the soil. I would water it. I would um, I would probably take and try to cut the plant down and see if somehow some, an infection got in. And I would give it a season. And if, if in a season it didn't do it, then I would uproot it. And I would I would say, like, we're done. Yeah, you have more patience than I do because I would say just uh, uproot it. Get rid of it. Dig it up and start again. 
right. which is what I would do. And yeah, maybe you give it a season or so. I'm struck by the fact that that's precisely what God does not do. Hmm. He doesn't say, and so I'm more struck by what he doesn't say than what he does say. What he doesn't say is this this yielded wild grapes. It kept, I mean, if you know the history of Israel, it keeps yielding wild, stinky grapes. This keeps happening. And so the logical thing to do would just be uproot it. Get some take, new plants. Get some new plants. Plant something new and start over, which is not what he does. He does something that's actually sort of strange. He says, fine. I really wanted these grapes, right? I really wanted this to bear fruit. It didn't happen, but instead of uprooting it, I'm just going to let it be for a while, and I'm just going to let it be overtaken, which is weird, right? But what that means is the seeds are still there. The plants that he planted never actually leave. They get overgrown. They get trampled down. They get stomped on. There's weeds that come up around them. Cows come on top of them and stuff, as it says, but... They're still there. And right. the image I kept thinking of, don't judge me, all right? Because I like it. Okay, so I'm don't gonna, judge I'm the, the things that uh, okay, I like. Okay. My wife, my dear, wonderful wife, her favorite play in the world is The Secret Garden. And you know what? It's a good play. And I like it a lot. <laughs> and it's not girly. And I like it. And I listen to the soundtrack in my car sometimes. Okay. So don't give me that judgmental look. I have, you, have you ever I, seen The Secret Garden? I don't know what it is. It's a, this, it's a play. It's a book. It's a movie. It's ubiquitous. The Secret Garden. Have you heard of The Secret Garden? No. Come on, man. <laughs> Dude, I have no oh, judgment. It's a classic. I have no judgment in my heart, but I can tell <laughs> just by the name of it that like- <laughs> it's, to do with the garden. It's, it's in like, it's in like the, uh, the genre of Anne of Green Gables. Uh, I don't like Anne of Green- No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, so- Because I don't so, like those So things. the only judgment I have is I apply Anne of Green Gables to Secret Garden, though I, I the just the same know people like them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, The Secret Garden. How, how do I quickly- Okay, uh, Secret Garden- is about this. Oh, geez. Um, oh, I didn't expect it. I, I thought it was just well known enough. Maybe I shouldn't have gone I mean, down this road. Anyway, okay, here's the point. There's two kids. There's a kid who loses her parents, and she's taken in by this family member who has a son who's very, very ill, and he had lost his wife. It's a, it's a long story. There's a complicated plot. Okay. The point is, there's this garden, right, that belonged to this guy's wife, and his wife died years ago, and he never kept it up. And he kind of, he actually took the garden of his wife, his beloved wife that he treasured above. And he, it, she was, it's clear in the play that she's like 10 times out of his league. And somehow he lucks out and gets this woman. She dies and they have a kid who is very ill. But he takes her garden and he like blocks it off. He puts gates up. He puts a lock on it. He's like, no one's going in. That's her place. Her name is Lily. No one's going into Lily's garden. He locks it up, right? And over the years, it just gets overgrown and overtaken and all this stuff. And then this little girl comes to stay with them. And she really wants to check out the garden, right? And so right. she begins working with this gardener who, under like cover of night, they go in secretly. And they're like, we want to bring the garden back to life. And there's one of my favorite songs from the play. It's called Wick. And it's it's all British. It's all of English accents. But the gardener is like, well, if a thing is wick then it can come back to life. So in other words, if you clear away all the dead stuff and all the briars and thorns and you still find some life and some green, then you can bring any garden back to life because there's still life underneath all the stuff that's buried. Mm. And they bring this garden back to life, which is a metaphor for the other child who is ill and he comes back to life and gets healed through all this. It's a beautiful story, all right? But the point is I keep thinking about this garden and it's so central to this play because everything seems hopeless. And they go and they're like, there's no hope for this garden. It's done. It's dead. It's a disaster. It's trampled down. But there's this one gardener who's like, no, there's hope. You got to dig really deep, but it's still there. It's not gone. It just needs a little bit of care, mm. which is Israel. 
Because you can watch this and say, well, Israel is being trampled down by all these enemies because they've been horrible and because they haven't responded to God and, and his covenants and what he wants of them. But God doesn't uproot Israel. He lets it be trampled down. He lets the weeds grow up around it. I'm reminded of Jesus' parable about the weeds and the wheat, right? The wheat is still there. The, the thing is still wick, right? It's still in there. But he's allowed all these things to come over because what we can't believe is that God gets ticked off at Israel because Israel's unfaithful and he just obliterates them. No, Israel is still Israel. And yes, the Babylonians do come in and an outside force is actually going to be the instrument for judgment. But after the judgment, what's going to happen? I mean, what really, what happens to bring Israel back to life? Well, when Jesus comes, he extends the covenant invitation to the outside nations. And like St. Paul says in the book of Romans, all of these Gentiles are then grafted on to the, he uses an olive tree metaphor rather than a vineyard metaphor, but the wild branches are grafted on and it actually brings the tree back to life in the same way that God brings all the nations into Israel, which is going to bring the vineyard back to life. But the vineyard never left. The vineyard never disappeared, which is, I think, what we're, we're getting pointed to in the responsorial psalm which is actually not a psalm, but it's from Isaiah, right? Dude, I think that this is some really cool stuff happening. I So am I making sense? Yeah. I just it, described a whole play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what, what I like, too, is that um, what we're seeing is that God— it, um, one of the projects of the Pharisees is saying that we need to be so faithful to God that he will send the Messiah— Right. And rather than the project of saying God is faithful, so he will send the Messiah regardless. And so in a certain sense, what That's we're seeing is that the weeds are like, like the prophecy of saying like, this is going to be overtaken and it's going to be overtaken by Rome. We see that, that absolutely Rome yeah. overtakes Israel and is, is, is in an, as in an occupying force, as well as the fact that you have prostitutes, you've got the uh, Sadducees, you've got the Pharisees, you've got this political situation that seems so super out of control. Out of control. But, but that it's, it's actually setting these circumstances by which something so fabulous as the salvation of the whole world and the beginning of the spread of Western civilization and the whole transformation of the mind and culture um, according to so that all things can be centered and and claimed for Christ. But what is all of that but the ancient vineyard coming back to life and bearing all sorts of new fruit? Absolutely, with all this stuff grafted on. Yes, exactly. But but the roots are in the vineyard. The roots are there. The roots never change. And that's really important. There's there's a, a piece of theology that floats around in the world called replacement, um, what is it called? Covenantal replacement theology. Have you heard this? Mm. Basically, it's this idea that God, you know, had established the people of Israel. Israel sinned. God gets fed up with Israel and said, okay, I'm done with you. I'm going to give a covenant to a totally different people and I'm going to turn to the Gentiles, which is not Christianity. Right. It's no, Israel is Israel, and I'm going to graft the Gentiles onto Israel to bring lifeblood into Israel. Right. But we are Israel. Right. Christians are Israel. Right. We're not really even a new Israel. We're just Israel. Right. We look different, but that's so crucially important, I think, for understanding Christianity. That's why I'm doing this whole class on the Jewish feasts, because if we understand where we come from, then we can understand where God wants to take us, which is what this vineyard parable is all about. Which, yeah. again, I think that's what the so- responsorial psalm is saying. And the song Cotton-Eyed Joe. 
Cotton on Joe. Where do we come from? Where do we go? Oh, oh. <laughs> well, well done. <laughs> nice work. Absolutely. Which, I, uh, you know, this is the, the direct like response is Psalm 80 here and well, from can, Isaiah. Can I confess something? <laughs> yes. I didn't read closely enough this morning when it, th- that the response itself was from Isaiah. And I'm like, holy cow, it's word for word what I say. This is amazing. This is, but it's just Because like, the church throws us sometimes for a loop. But yeah, it's quoting it, Isaiah. I, yeah. It's so funny how on point, like, 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 is this this week is like as on point about the vineyard of the Lord as you could as you possibly could be. be? It really is. Check this out though. Check out how the responsorial psalm begins though. A vine from Egypt you transplanted. Now we talk about a vine being planted in Israel. That's what God does according right. to Isaiah. But where did that vine come from? Well, it was a vine he'd actually been growing in a pot to go along with the metaphor or something. Back in Egypt, he's been growing this vine for a long time. Mm. It's like, it's like um, you know, you're in college and you're living in a dorm and you have a great plant that you love. And then maybe you move to an apartment and you have this plant still and it comes with you on your move. And then finally you move into a house with a yard and you're like, I'm going to plant it finally, like in a real garden. I'm going to take it out of its pot and I'm going to kind of let it spread its wings. It's, it's kind of like starting with an avocado pit. In your window, in your kitchen when you're in college. Absolutely. And then you start growing that avocado and then all of a sudden you find yourself in Southern California and you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to put this in the ground because we're actually finally at the place where this is the, this is how this plant is going to thrive because I was in Colorado and it's not going to survive the winters and it's never going to bear an avocado. Yeah. But now that I'm in SoCal, man, I'm like, I'm going to make it real. Well, and that's what it says. You drove away the nations and you planted it. It put forth its foliage all the way to the sea and it shoots as far as the river. Finally, it can go nuts because we're in the right environment, the right environment, or at least so we thought. Mm. And it's not that God made a mistake. It's not like God was like, oh man, I thought it was going to grow. And it just yielded. God, no, you know, I mean, this is, this is a parable and it's putting those, that language, but it's supposed to grow. It's supposed to thrive. But again, we can't think that God hasn't been growing this from the beginning. I mean, from the time of Adam and Eve, he's been nurturing this little avocado pit, right? Right. It's been growing and it's been moving. He's been moving it around and potting it in different places. And then finally he plants it. But, it's not over because it's going to be tra- transplanted a couple other times. Right. He's going to take it up to Babylon with him. And he's going to then take it off back to e- Israel. And it's going to, Rome is going to come. And it's going to do all these things. And eventually, what this is all pointing, what the responsorial psalm, even more than Isaiah is pointing to, you no, know, someday it's going to go out all the way to the sea. And it shoots, will go out to the river. Well, when on earth, I mean, so if God plants Israel in this plot of land, in the promised land, and it begins to grow, but it yields terrible grapes. When on earth is this prophecy going to be fulfilled? When is the psalm going to see its fulfillment? That it finally spreads its wings and its branches and it goes from sea to sea and from river to river. When does the plant do that? The church. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm obsessed about the second to last strophe. Okay, talk to me. Once again, O Lord of hosts, look down from heaven and see, take care of this vine and mm. protect what your right hand has planted. The son of man whom you yourself made strong. Which is an, it's, it's called an apposition. The second sentence is describing the first. Right. Which is unexpected. And the psalm actually throws you for a loop. Well, yeah, because. Right. What's the vine? What's what's the vine? Hold on. And and what, like, I know from my biblical timeline (laughs) that the, that the blessing of God resides in, in humans, in men. 
Yes. And that, that, that this vine, this ble- the blessing of God, the center of the garden, is something that is ultimately going to uh, truly be planted and have the watchtower and bear fruit in Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Who says, point blank... I am the, the vine, vine. <laughs> and you, you are the it. branches. But why does that make sense? What is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus is Israel embodied. Right. Because in the tradition, in the Hebrew tradition, the king embodied his people. The king took upon himself all of what was Israel. So if it happened to the people, it happened to the king and right. vice versa, right? Yeah. So it's fitting that Jesus can say, I am the vine, because Israel is the vine, and Jesus embodies Israel, right? which is why it's able to grow. And I say it's the true. I mean, all of these things that we've said are actually true. Jesus is the vine. The vine is the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the church. You and I are part of the church. Therefore, you and I are the vine. Right. Or we're the branches, rather, as Jesus says, because we've been grafted on, right? Yeah. And now, where's that vine? It is in every corner of every city in every part of the world. I was mentioning, uh, we were talking about the Feast of Tabernacles last night at class and how it gets eventually played out in the Mass because the Mass, which is where we actually get grafted onto the vine, it's where we enter into that reality, happens at every hour of every day in every corner of the world. This psalm, Psalm 80, has become fulfilled. Every From sea to sea, from river to river, this vine has spread. And you and I can access it everywhere at every time of every day, which is kind of cool. Absolutely. And that's actually why the church oftentimes has branch, uh, I mean, um, um, foliage, garden imagery. It, it's actually oh, absolutely. the ideal is that, the, that it, also that this is the Garden of Eden. Absolutely. That, that Eden is actually well, planted in our hearts. Yes. Ooh. Ooh, that's good. Which is why, you know, in traditional church architecture, you'll see like little, little flowers like embedded into the, into the, into the uh, what do you call those things? You know, like the the things on the, the things. Yeah, the things. This, uh, they're, know, they're embedded. The architectural yeah, yeah. features, right? Yeah, yeah. Around with flowers and plants and foliage, literally. Even the Gothic arches remind you of trees. They're supposed to, yeah. That's why everybody says, um, my cathedral is the the trees. Yeah, me too. That's why my church looks like that. <laughs> or that's why it's supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, that's the proper response. Uh, uh, dude, okay, so okay. um, I'm sorry. I have no under ability to like get Philippians into line with all of this vines because it's everything's so straightforward. I mean, it's talking about how how do how what is the nature of how do you have a community that cooperates and yeah. it's like having the same mind. It's like being of the same root. Maybe it's 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 yeah. allowing the fruits and the roots to be similar and fruits not fruits and the roots. And and not and not like making yourself separate, but like thinking about those things which are the, which bind us together. I don't know. Like I think that's a big part of it. I think that's certainly embedded in here. I saw something even more obvious. It's not more obvious. I saw something as well. I saw something more obvious. No, than that's what you not saw, what Father. that's not what I meant. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm kind of hung on those first couple of lines. Okay. So yeah, Paul in Philippians. If you remember the context from the last couple of weeks. It's this group of people in Philippi. A lot of them are probably big, tough army vets from the Roman military. They're being encouraged to live in community, all that stuff. But um, he says, brothers and sisters, have no anxiety at all, but in everything in prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. A couple of things that have no anxiety in anything. Have no anxiety at all, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. 
if I'm reading this in light of the Old Testament, now the Philippians, we talked a little bit about who they are and what their demographics are like. But the thing we didn't mention is that the Philippian, the church in Philippi is um, undergoing a pretty severe persecution, or it's about to, because Paul mentions it a couple times in his letter. He says, I'm united with you in this persecution. Why are they being persecuted? Because it's a bunch of people who were part of the Roman military who are basically committing treason in front of their neighbors, saying we're actually going to bow our knees to someone other than Caesar. And you can imagine how popular that would be. So, yeah, there's the there's the context of what these people are like, but then there's the fact that there's a really severe persecution cropping up in this land. And Yeesh. you've got to be asking yourself the question of, wait a second, this is the perennial question of the New Testament, right? right. If we're following the true God, how come we keep getting so beat up? If we're actually on the right track then why does all the bad stuff keep happening to us? Are we, are we following the wrong guy? And all of these letters are trying to answer that question. Don't be anxious. Have no anxiety. Now, there's different reasons for it, but I'm thinking about this passage from Isaiah. Look, there's times, a lot of times because of our doing, but sometimes just because the ways of God are mysterious, that the vineyard looks like it's gone. There's a lot of times that you just can't see reality for what it is because sometimes the weeds have just grown up too high. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change what's at the root. It doesn't change the fact that Israel is still Israel, that the church is still the church. But sometimes the complications and sin and everything else of the world come in so thick that it feels like we're being trampled down and all hope is lost. And we forget that if you begin to scratch the surface and push away all those weeds, the truth is actually still down there. And the Philippians are probably being tempted to think there's too much. It's too overwhelming. I mean, we're not far off from our present oh. situation, right? I mean, the, Dude, even this last week in our country, oh. how do you not look around and be like, it's overwhelming, Lord. There's too much evil. All hope has got to be lost. I can't see a way out. And what God is saying through these readings is, no, just keep digging. I Mor know it's messy. I know there's a bunch of garbage Mor on top. Moral and natural. Moral and natural. That's the thing. But if you begin to dig down, it's still there. It's still green. The roots are present. They're just a mess. And they've got a lot of stuff there. It's going to require some weeding. And that's what I think. That, so, so don't be anxious. Have no anxiety. Even though everything around you seems to lend itself to nothing but anxiety. Dude, I just have to say, like, the, the, like Scott, that's like such a good word for me because, like, mm. the, all this, the, like, the attack, the attack in uh, Las Vegas. in Las Vegas, and and then all of the natural disasters from Mexico, oh, so Puerto much. Rico, Houston, the Caribbean, like, it's just, it's just, it's, it's overwhelming. overwhelming. Like, and 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 I, I've just been having this moment where I'm looking into the world and saying, like, l l how much, oh Lord, how long, oh Lord. And how much more can we take? Yeah, like, like, because, because this is this stuff is is rough, and the negativity of the press on absolutely mm. everything, everything. In, in politics, it's just it's just overwhelming, and and I'm like, I, I don't know what to do, and I feel so powerless in the face of all of it, and I think part of the design is, of course, to help make you feel powerless in all of it, right? And uh, I was talking, <laughs> right. I, was, I was talking to a priest friend, and and uh, uh, Father Brandon was saying he's he's like, hey, uh, Father where's your parish and i was like i was like in boulder he's like mm, why don't you take care of your parish why don't you show up and and because because like in a certain sense i'm like how do you make sense of all of mm. these things for all these people oh, and, i see and like th this mm. is the thing is that it, it's like well you know what like this is the right word that you're saying mm. is that you know what have no anxiety at all like 
Like God really is in charge and he's remained in charge. And, and I just think about the first reading of what we're, what we're talking about. Like, like he is like, we have no idea what he's doing. Israel had, they were like, oh no, we've been protecting this thing. We've been, we've been so dedicated to it and it's yielding wild grapes. And, and yet, so the Lord's like, I'm sorry, but this is the way it's, I don't know. I still, I still struggle. Well, here's the thing that I think. I don't know if it's comforting, but it helps contextualize it for me. Here's the the thing that we forget about when we think about Old Testament Israel, because again, yeah, God's planting this vineyard. It's yielding stinky grapes. Why? Because the, the kings are doing horrible things and people are breaking the covenant. But here's what we can't forget. Everybody, I mean, there are faithful, right? There are people in Israel who are still faithful, the remnant. who are keeping the covenant. But even in the midst of, even before you need a remnant, in the center of all the chaos they're the ones with the tzedakah crying the, out. The wick. It, the, they're the wick. But what's happening? All of our leaders, everyone around us, we're at, and this goes back to our readings from last week. Why is it that we're actually having to pay the price? Because our leaders have all made terrible choices. The kings of Israel have sinned. They've led our whole nation into terrible places. And as a result, we're not bearing good fruit. What about the few of us that are faithful? The do keep the covenant, the do keep the commands. We're actually having our vineyard be trampled because they were unfaithful. So you forget about all the people because, I mean, there's no way every single person in Israel turned their hearts away from the Lord. We know that there's some faithful. We know the prophets are faithful. So what about those folks who are like, because that, that's what I'm reminded of right. nowadays, because there are some who are trying to be faithful. And how do you say, because, you know, we're not saying the church is being trampled down, the United States, the world, or Western culture is being trampled down. Yeah, maybe it is. But that doesn't mean that there aren't still people like, wait, what about us? Where, where do we fit in this? Right. And that's where even the readings from last week. No, it's what you were told with your parish. Remember, that was the reading from Ezekiel. You're not going to have to suffer ultimately for the sins of the parents. Right. And the parents will not ultimately be responsible for the sins of their children. You are responsible for your choices. Even if the world around you is crashing down, you are responsible for you. And you are responsible to make that choice. How are you going to respond? Are you going to say, I'm overwhelmed. Everything's chaos. I don't know who to trust. There's nowhere to go. Or are you going to say, I'm just going to dig past the debris Right. And I'm not going to have anxiety because I know it's down there. I mean, how do you just, again, to put this in context, I'm talking to myself more than anybody else. <laughs> we hear stuff like Philippians, you know, have no anxiety, which is a nice thing to read in the Bible because you expect pious things to be said in the Bible. But then you put it in real life. Hey, there was a guy from the what 32nd floor of a hotel who killed almost 60 people and injured almost 600 with huge rounds of gunfire. Hey, but don't worry. Don't be anxious about that. Have no anxiety. Yeah, that could happen at any minute, anywhere. But don't be anxious about that. You're like, what do you mean don't be anxious about it? Right. I could have a rain of gunfire fall down upon from a hotel for Pete's sake. But don't worry. Don't be anxious. And then I, to me, then I'm like, okay, there's a little more weight behind what the Bible is actually saying than right. I just nice pl- pious platitudes. No, really, I mean don't be anxious. And if there wasn't lots of reason to be anxious, the Bible wouldn't need to say that. So right. many times. Yep. But it does. So I think that uh, takes us to Matthew. Yeah. Ooh, it's hard, okay, man. I know. It's hard, though. I know. It People is. are really suffering. People are really suffering, and we, we unite ourselves to them. We unite ourselves to Christ, who has united himself to them. Right. That's actually— That's the, it. That's the, that's the difference between— yes. 
us and the rest of the world is we, yes. Christ has taken on this suffering to himself directly. That's right. why he sweat blood and was tortured to death. Yeah. Is that he didn't want anybody to ever be left alone in the midst of these sufferings. So he's bound himself to the sufferings of all. Right. And, and, and so we bind ourselves to him who can actually care for them, who can love them and who is present to them in all of the details of their needs. Yes. And so, but but Jesus has some some to say to the elders and the people. Dude, he mixes some metaphors in this in this passage. So I, I take a little beef with that, but that's okay. He's, he's God; he can do what he wants. I'm just trying to keep up. So Jesus says to the chief priests and the elders, "Hear another parable." Okay. There was a landowner who uh, owner who planted a vineyard, and I guarantee you, because who's he talking to? The chief priests and the elders—they all know Isaiah. They're maybe. thinking of Isaiah five. There's no doubt. Even the common people would be thinking of Isaiah five. So certainly the leaders are. They're like, oh, he's quoting Isaiah. How come? And if you know how Isaiah turns out, <laughs> they're like, wait, what are you doing here, Jesus? What are yeah. you saying about us? Because we know how this story ends. But dude, this is this is all hardcore about how he goes through the prophets and. Tells, all the messengers until the finally the son. He tells salvation history. Right. He compartmentalizes all of salvation history in these 10 verses. Right? So he's like, hey, here's this vineyard, a planter. God planted a vineyard, Israel. He put a hedge around it, dug a wine press, built a tower. He leased, Then he leased it to tenants. So he changes the story a little bit or he gives a detail, right? Leasing. Then he leased it to tenants and he went off to another country. He appeared to disappear for a while. He's still there. But it's an interesting image that Jesus chooses to use. And when vintage time drew near, harvest, he sent his servants to the tenants to obtain his produce. He sent his prophets to go and be his representatives. And what do they do? Well, the tenants seize the prophet. I, I'm, I'm just going to insert language. Yeah. They seize the, not the servants, but the prophets. And one they beat, another they killed, the third they stoned. This is going, you can go through the Old Testament prophets and pick out who we're talking about. And so then he sent more servants, others numerous than the first ones. You talked about the Bible timeline. Some of you have seen this little tool. If you've seen the the Ascension Press puts out this great tool called the Bible Timeline, the Great American Bagel Company, the Great American Bible Timeline. I forget exactly what it is. <laughs> but it's this fold-out map that basically shows all of salvation history, where each of the books of the Bible fit into it, and all this stuff. And if you've ever looked at this, Father Peter, do you ever notice deeply as it gets blue and black or black and blue when everything is going down and they're about to lose Israel? And it shows you where all the supplemental books of the Bible. Look at how many stinking prophets. Oh, I know. It's show good. up at the at the last ditch moment when Israel's about to fall. Yeah, the Lord is just sending them. Prophet, prophet, you more messages, more words, more information. I mean, you get the sense sometimes reading the Old Testament that God just gets ticked off and He's like, "That's it. I'm done with you guys. Punishment." But that's not the biblical story. He says, no, I want you so desperately, I will keep sending messengers to try to bring your hearts back to me. And of course, as Jesus says, they keep stoning them and killing them and beating them. They treat them the same way. So finally, he sent his son thinking, well, surely they'll respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and we will acquire the inheritance. What's the inheritance? According to this parable, if you if you try to translate everything, the, uh, the inheritance is the uh, vineyard, which is what, which is Israel. What do the chief priests and the elders and the Pharisees and the rest? What do they all want claim of? Jerusalem, Israel, Israel. We are the leaders of Israel. What is Jesus saying? He's like, you don't have a clue. I am Israel. I am the king. Mm. I am the vine. I am the vineyard. I am the light. I am the living waters. I am all of these things because I am God's son. I am his true servant. I am the representative. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. 
and they say baloney. We are the heirs. We want control. We want the people to listen to us. And so we will try to shut you up. That's where this parable begins to get a little bit interesting, right? They want the inheritance. They want control of Israel. They want the power. They want the authority. They want to be listened to. Now, granted, like you mentioned before, the Pharisees, I think the whole Pharisaic movement was born out of desperation. And how do we get God's presence back? But then that desperation turned to comfort and that comfort turned to control and that control turned to power hungriness. And now it turned into a threat because this guy's challenging us. The people listen to us. The people listen to our words. Who are you to come and undermine us? Nobody likes that, right? So what are they going to do? They're going to kill him. That's what he says. And so once they do that and they kill him, what's the owner going to do to those tenants when he comes? They're going to punish that fool. Translate it. What's the what's God going to do to the chief priests and the elders of the people when he comes? If you're a chief priest or an elder, mm. you should be thinking, mm, that's not good. Right. So he's going to put those wretched men to a wretched death <laughs> with a wretched little man, wretched little house with a wretched little death. And he's going to lease his vineyard out to other tenants. Well, who are the other tenants? The Gentiles who are going to be grafted on. The vineyard is still the vineyard, but he's going to welcome other people into it. More tenants, different tenants, tenants that you guys hated. People like the Romans, people like the Philippians, people like the Corinthians, people like the Cappadocians, the Africans, people like all of the ones that these leaders in Israel thought, no, you're the outsiders, you're the unclean ones, you're the people that belong over there. Now I'm actually going to give the vineyard to them as well. The Babylonians, the, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, for Pete's sake. And then he, he caps it off. He ends it with this. Did you not hear the scriptures? Did you ever read in the scriptures? Which they would have. This is Psalm 118, which they actually pray every year at the Feast of Tabernacles, which our Jewish friends are celebrating right now. And every year they pray the, the Hallel Psalms, which, which cap themselves off with Psalm 118, which says, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. By the Lord this has been done, and it's wonderful in our eyes. So therefore I say to you, says Jesus, the kingdom of God shall be taken away from you and it will be given to a people that actually will produce fruit. Which is rough. But I, the mixed metaphor comes with the, <laughs> the way we're talking about a vineyard <laughs> yeah. or a stone and a building. Well, yes, is the answer. Because the vineyard is Israel and Israel is a temple and Jesus is the temple and Jesus is Israel and Jesus was rejected. And now that stone that was rejected by the builders, has become the head of the corner. And he's become the vineyard itself. And he's become the temple. And he's become the church through which all of us can be grafted on. Which, like you said, is the only reason any of our prayers and our thoughts and anything we do has any merit. Because we're united to him. But if we do that, then we can actually offer something to the world. Mm. There's a lot of stuff there. I just, uh, I, it's a really, really rich and difficult words of God. Like, yeah. I, I just, I just think like, Lord, help us to remain faithful that we would bear fruit in you and that we would be able to bear fruit that would last. And that as we have been grafted onto the vine and that we are, we are able to, to have that Lord, give us the gift of being able to be fruitful in you and to be unhesitatingly bound to you. Grafted to you. Grafted. Dude. Graft. Wow. All right. <laughs> I, uh, I I just, uh, I, I can't add to anything to that, and I'm very excited. Thank you for joining us today, friends. This has definitely taken a turn from the old-timey happy hour radio show at the beginning. To... Oh, 
our old happy radio show. Vineyards and destruction and temples and grafting. Yeah, it's like God has a plan and we are just called to be faithful to him. So have no anxiety at all. all. I like that Paul adds the at all. At all. Have no anxiety at all. Right. Which is, I think, a good final word. Amen. So we'll see you next week. Okay. Bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.